Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday to you folks. Today is a fantastic day, and let me tell you why. You are working in an industry that is full of creative minds and opportunities. And I'll tell you what, it's those little things that make your day worthwhile. Now, folks, get on out there and have a fantastic Friday. We're going to get the party started right here. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. I don't need nobody to tell me who to be. Don't need nobody to tell me what I see. I don't need nobody Good morning, to folks. Welcome to finally Friday edition of Work Hard, Play Hard. It is the Crude Life Morning Show. My name is Jason Space. That is Sterling. Frackleberry Hound is in studio as well. Here we are today on a Friday. We made it through the week, man. So glad. Woo! It's one of those days. I got still my early though. Man. Cup of coffee here. It. Sports, 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 sports. We get to talk later. Yeah, I'm so important. To we get to make a chant out of it. Sports, 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 sports. <laughs> it's so important, isn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I love sports. So important, you got to say it thrice. Thrice. Sports, sports, sports. News coming up in just a moment or two. We've got Texas news, Colorado news, and then some international news as well. What else do we have coming up? Oh, yeah, Kate Hornbrook will be joining us in a moment or three to talk about her Permian activities happening down in Texas. So we have uh, a full list of uh, activities coming up. Flashback interview. It's Flashback Friday. Who are we going to hear? You know, I'm not even sure who it is today yet, but I'll take a look at the next break. Mystery um, guest. Yeah, maybe it's Sean Hannity. Maybe it's Jim Volker, James Volker, the former president of uh whiting petroleum could be harold ham you know we've got a whole bunch of uh great interviews available at the crudelife.com and flashback friday that's kind of what it is you know unless it gets bumped but i like the idea of friday taking it easy mm-hmm. you know maybe even having an interview from a couple years ago maybe a decade ago to just what did we learn? Yeah, see what? where everybody stands now. Yeah, I mean, let's you know, it's it's interesting. You know, mm-hmm. the only way to learn from tomorrow is to go back to yesterday. I just made that up. See, <laughs> we'll have to redo that one tomorrow. And but people anyway. are always telling me I'm living in the past. Now it's a good thing. Okay, flashback Friday. So, what do we got for news today, man? Let me get the sounder up. Okay. First thing that popped up, Texas government collects one or $13.9 billion from oil and gas industry. And that is coming off of a horrendous year, maybe the worst year in what, a decade or so. So Texas oil and natural gas industry paid $13.9 billion in taxes and state royalties in fiscal year 2020, the Texas Oil and Gas Association reported Monday. So this 2020 figure represents a nearly 15% decrease year on year in industry generated funds that support Texas schools, teachers, roads, infrastructure, and various services. Do they break it down from there, by the way, uh, in, in the article? Is this is this from the Texas Oil and Gas Association? Is this where the... Um, yeah, that's correct. That's where it's coming from. The, the yeah. numbers are? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, you know, they're talking about while uh, oil pli- uh, prices have plummeted in the wake of the pandemic, uh, the need for products made from oil and natural gas has actually skyrocketed. Well, of course. Yeah. We, we're living in a PPE generation right now where... Everything from hand sanitizer to the hazmat uniforms to 
a part of the mask, I would imagine, either from the 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 part that goes around your ear or the actual mask itself are is made out of some sort of petroleum product. Yeah, it's not just the stuff that goes in your gas tank. I think that's right. what most people forget about. It's the clothes on your back. It's the the containers for your food. I mean, it's Amazon. <laughs> you know, all the packaging. Yep. Uh, not not the cardboard boxes, but the you know the the plastic bags that. Mm-hmm. They come in the post office bags yep, or whatever shipping bubbles and so, all that other good stuff. Anyway, go on. Well, so you know, I, what stuck out to me is I didn't realize that they, you know, thirteen point nine billion. That sounds like a lot, but fifteen percent—that's fifteen percent less than it has been. You know, so it just kind of stuck out how much money comes out of the oil and gas industry in Texas that gets pumped right back into that economy. And of course, this is a great opportunity to remind people that that's just one side of it. The other side is there's a whole supply chain. There's there's uh, uh, ancillary or impactful ripples that happen because of this in other areas. The example, of course, is uh, in, in the Bakken or in North Dakota, where they do not necessarily have year-round People living there as much as temporary workers in a lot of cases, you know, people live in Texas, but they get shipped up to the Bakken for six months. Well, those people are buying hunting licenses Mm -hmm. and they have to register their vehicle. And and there's certain... Uh, uh, They've got tax- like two residencies at that point. Yeah, know? without having a second without, residency. Yeah, exactly. yeah, but they yeah. still have to do a lot of... They, they're contributing to the local sales tax. Mm-hmm. They're contributing, like I say, to the hunting license and the fishing license is generally the best example to give because if that Texas resident was not living up in North Dakota, Montana for six months... They wouldn't buy a fishing license. Right, yeah. They, they wouldn't buy a hunting license. Well, and we see it here in North Dakota so much. You know, I mean, it's so much of North Dakota is the lifeblood is the oil and gas industry. Well, and you don't get that with ag. No. Necessarily as much. Mm-hmm. You just don't. So it, that's why the oil and gas industry is a little bit unique in that aspect because of the uh, just the amount of resources and attention that gets put into their remote workers. Right. Yeah. You well, know? you don't get to choose where the plays are, right? I mean, you got to go where it is. So, well, without a doubt. Yeah. So, so you're all over the place. Hey, by the way, in that story, uh, did you pull? Do you still? Do you still yeah, got still access got to it? Yeah. Uh, is there? I imagine there's some quotes in there. Okay. So who's quoted in the story? Let's see. They have. They're talking. I'm looking for actual names here. Or, the Oil or, and Gas Association. So it's uh, TXOGA. Yeah, Pros- Texas Oil yeah, and President Gas. Todd Staples in a written st- uh, statement said the ongoing recovery of the oil and gas industry is essential to the state's continuing economic improvement. While oil prices plummeted in the wake of the pandemic, the need for the product skyrocketed. Nearly every in-demand product we need to be safe, to save lives, and to power our economy from face shields and hand sanitizers to high-speed internet connections and computers is made possible by oil and natural gas. Anyone else quoted in this story? No, it doesn't look like it. So, that's fine, but... This is where we've gotten into today's world, where the media really needs to start going in and asking the Department of Education for a quote. They need to start in Texas. They need to go and start asking some of these people on the receiving end of these oil and gas taxes. Okay, do you understand what's going on here? 
well, you know, we like to, everybody likes to see where their money goes, right? And in here, uh, oh no, what? no, I'm, I'm saying get these people on record, right? Get get the quote unquote blue liberal education person, well, what on record saying they need oil and gas to prosper. I I completely agree because here, uh, President uh, Todd Staples says that via the state's permanent school fund, so the PSF, and the permanent un- university fund, PUF, they received 99% of Texas oil and gas royalties in 2020. Without a doubt. I mean, that's the thing that the whole education system, a lot of it is, is funded by oil and gas. Texas I mean, local school districts, more than $2 billion last year from property mm-hmm. taxes for mineral properties. Oh, for minerals. That's, That's just, just, from, minerals. just for minerals. Okay. Yeah. Another $688 million just from property taxes around the state. Another angle that I have never heard talked about, okay, when it comes to how the oil and gas industry has really helped education, most of education comes from property taxes, mm-hmm. okay? There are other ways, but at the end of the day, a lot of people will tell you, it comes from property taxes. That's why we need them, and that's why we can't get rid of them, and blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's changed Well, that's since why then. people fight when there's a new school uh, you know, a fund or bond put yeah, in to raise property taxes. And listen, if you're going to come at me with some mill levy argument, <laughs> get bent. We're, we're, we're existential energy here, man. We're, we're 5,000 <laughs> foot view. We're not going to get caught up on the parsing of words no. and things like that. No. So taxes are taxes are taxes. All right. Education is paid for by taxes. Now, Primarily speaking, most of the, your education taxes come from real estate because the idea is, is that your citizens need a place to live and therefore they need a place to educate their kids and it's a symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. that's always worked. Now, the way the oil and gas industry contributes one more time to that, they've got some really good paying jobs and people with really good paying jobs can afford really nice homes. And when you have really nice homes, you can create really nice neighborhoods. And when you create really nice neighborhoods, you need to maintain really nice neighborhoods. And that's where I wanted to go with this, is that oil and gas used to have sustainable housing opportunity. Right Now, our story yesterday, a third of the people got pay cuts. Yeah. That's in addition to all the people that have gotten laid off. Yeah. Okay. That is one slice of this argument I've never heard, which is property values are probably going to go down in the next five years. Okay. That's just what's you, you listen, you work in real estate, you know that yeah. real estate values do go down. Oh yeah. Well, it bounces around. You know. Right. And so when real estate values go down, you collect less taxes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if oil and gas is down, so you can't get as many taxes because they're not drilling as much and you got all this education money tied to oil and gas taxes. Okay. Well, that coffers down. Okay. Let's go to the real estate side of things. Well, the housing prices are down now because nobody, nobody can afford to be in their houses. We had to jack interest rates up a little bit. So a $200,000 home is now $100,000. Because the interest rates at ten percent instead of two, we've we've been at record low interest rates for like fifteen years. Yeah, it seems like for the last two decades. Almost. Eventually, the interest rates got to go up to five percent. Yeah, you know, I mean, I remember I bought my first house and it was seven and seven eighths, and that was a good deal. At the that time. was the best in ten years. Yeah, 
Yeah. Anything and below eight was really good. About huge. That's why I was yeah. seven and seven and yeah. ace. And that's the way they sold it because mm -hmm. I had such good credit and I could spend an extra couple grand to buy down or whatever the case might be. Yeah. And anyway, that now that's I'm sorry. problem though. Is I'm boring you, myself here. No, so the, what's know, going on? With the taxes, you're right. I mean, is, is we end up shooting ourselves in the foot. You know, if, if you go after, say, oil and gas or you go after another type of industry and you're cutting off that revenue stream, that's going to hurt the schools. And, you know, it's people just don't. Don't pay enough attention to that. So, so anyway, I, I'm getting back to that and we'll conclude and we'll go to Colorado next. But what I'd like to see come out of some of these news sources is I would like to see them to interview the real estate person mm -hmm. or the education person instead of just going to the old Petroleum Council, the, the, the Gas Association every time. Listen, they're giving you the same stuff every yeah. time. And no offense, no offense. That's their job. It's the media's job to get the perspective, to get the different outlets out there, to have the chief education person say, listen, stop demonizing oil and gas so we can get on with our education. Well, and that's lives. where the agenda side of this comes in is it's like you can't write about oil and gas if there's something good right. going on, right? You can't. And that's that's the biggest problem I have with, with news in general in this country right now is there's a refusal to acknowledge when the other side, when your opposing side is mm -hmm. right, because it's going to happen. You're going to be wrong sometimes. They're going to be right sometimes. So the moral of this news story is every now and then you probably got to challenge your media outlets a little bit, you know, and say, hey, I appreciate 50% of the news. Can I get the rest? You know, I think abstractly, most of us probably assume oil and gas taxes go back into education, roads, infrastructure. And oh, stuff I like doubt that. that. Uh, you know, on maybe like a subconscious level because okay. you've heard it. But yeah, there is a message that needs to be worked on, right? Yeah. There's a campaign that needs to be worked on. Yeah. So anyway, let's go to what's the next one. So let's bounce Speaking of regulations, right, we're regulating our speech Colorado? here. Yeah, well, Colorado, uh, an environmental group claims 70% of Colorado's greenhouse gas emissions come from oil and gas. Is that the bat phone? Keep going. Okay, so this comes from the Colorado Sun. Uh, 350 of Colorado's worst case scenario modeling suggests oil and gas should be gone from the state by 2030 to slow climate change. So it's going to be a lot of campfires and kerosene, I guess. And who's this group now? So this is coming from, who are they talking about here? Various environmental groups. They're called 350 Colorado. 350 Colorado. Yeah. Does it have a description of what 350 Colorado is in the news story? I'm not familiar with 350 the Colorado. The number 350 apparently is a reference to the parts per billion PBB of carbon dioxide, the main greenhouse gas, greenhouse gas in the atmosphere. Uh, in May 2020, the level was 417 PBB and is rising each year. So 350 is, I guess, sort of the cutoff zone. They don't want to see anything higher than that. I just pulled up their website. Wow, that's aggressive. Just I haven't even read a word yet, but just the presentation of it is it's just Well, they're highlighting, you know, words by doing the caps with yeah. the highlights and things and just the whole Looks like they're kind of more of the hardcore environmental side of things than some of the other groups that are out there that are challenging the state's approach. Yeah, because it's looking like they're looking at a target of twenty six percent reduction of greenhouse gas uh by twenty twenty five. 50% cut by 2030, 90% by 2050. Huh. All right, what was that number again? Which one? The 90% by yeah. 2050? Yeah, that yeah. one. 
What was that? What was that paragraph again? Sorry. So while not adopting a hard as line as 350, other environmental groups have challenged the state's approach to curbing greenhouse gases and question whether those targets, 20 percent reduction by 2025, 50 percent by 2030 and 90 percent by 2050 can be met in the face of expanding oil and gas operations. So basically they're talking about it's You know, it's it's the same story. It's a running fight. They're trying to put more regulations as they're trying to also get more oil and gas out. It's it's amazing to me what is going on in Colorado. It is absolutely amazing to me because they are trying to either put the industry out of business in Colorado or create so many new regulations that a new side industry is going to be created just to control the oil. Do you know what I mean by what I'm saying by that? What I'd like to see from both sides is a breakdown of what that looks like for you as the end user. In 2050, when 50% of oil and gas has been cut out of your state, what does that mean? What is that going to do for your heating costs? What's that going to do for transportation costs? You know, it's important, I think, to give people a financial picture. It's easy to say, oh, it's going to create jobs or it's going to end jobs. Or it's going to raise your taxes, it's going to lower your taxes. But, you know, break it down Barney style for me. Is there anybody even sticking up for the oil and gas industry on this? I mean, Colorado's been pretty quiet. It seems like a place, it's, it's kind of like a, a I'm not hearing anything from like a laboratory any leadership out of Colorado at all about this. Anyways, I, I, anybody in the story code for anything? No. Okay. It's yeah. basically just rehashing. Interesting. Well, we got the bad phone calling here. We better take a break as it's Kate Hornbrook from the Permian calling in. We'll be back in just a moment or two. That is Sterling. I want to go back to that Colorado story when we get back. So we'll come back in just a moment or two, folks. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Play hard, work hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. My levels are way hot this morning. I got to turn that down. Oh, wait. No, that's Kate Hornbrook. How you doing? (laughs) Hey, Jason. How's it going? Oh, looking for a great way to segue in. Kate Hornbrook down in the Permian, Texas on our Swan Energy phone line. Of course, Sterling is with us as well. Frackleberry Hound is on her. You know what we have for her? It's one of those big giant bean bags. And that's what we have for her bed is a big giant beanbag. Ooh, 
I'm jealous. One of those love sacks? That's what it is, a love sack, actually. Those are wonderful. I got one off of uh, Facebook Marketplace for 25 bucks. And you can. I've been trying to do that. I have not had as good a luck. I got very lucky right around Christmas, and it was I was up at four or five in the morning, and I it's a good shopping time apparently, and I, it happened to like just go on like within a half hour, and so I emailed the person right away, and I said, "Oh no, I'll PayPal you or Venmo you the money. Is it twenty five dollars? Yeah, I'll buy it right now, sight unseen, you know this and that, and." And then we went to Petco and just one of those little pet beds that are just, you know, a little yeah. flimsy thing. They're like 50 yeah, bucks. Yeah, they're like prison mattresses. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, <laughs> so, Well, how are you doing down there in the Permian Basin? Give us a boots on the ground report, if you wouldn't mind. So, I mean, right now it's actually been pretty cold out here in the Permian. Um, it, it reminds me of Ohio. So I guess that's good and bad. Um, I kind of figured that once I left Ohio for the holidays that I wouldn't see cold weather again, but lo and behold, here we are. Um, so I've been bundled up, but other than that, I mean, uh, oil industry report, you know, things are definitely picking up out here. Um, I know personally for my company, Ace Completions, you know, we've definitely been picking up a lot of work and uh, now we're venturing into the water treatment side of things. So that's definitely helping us to bring in some more clientele. So that's really wonderful. Water treatment side of things. Uh, Elaborate a little bit more if you can, please. So, yes. So we're just, uh, we actually merged um, with Terra Oil Field Services, um, and they deal on the water treatment side of things. So with their strengths in that and our strengths on the bulk frack chemical side, um, I think it's a match made in heaven, no doubt. Can I ask you a question that may appear very dumb? Sure. Okay. So when I was down there last time, when you and I spoke, um, I was introduced to a bunch of different people. And and one of the gentlemen that I spoke to was about the industrial forest. And we were talking about, you know, putting it in the Permian down there and specifically between Midland and Odessa. In fact, we've got some more meetings scheduled when I head back down there in February. And the problem with uh, building a forest in the Permian is the water because it's it, there is none. So yeah, the lack thereof. Right. So so where do you get from it? You know, and 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 what do they say? The joke is in the Permian. If you want to find the one good-looking guy or the one good-looking girl, go look behind the one tree. Ha! Because there's like <laughs> there's just like one tree in That's the Permian, it, huh? you know, and apparently there's not, you know. Uh, apparently there's so many good-looking people. Everybody's good-looking, and. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I was offensive there without even knowing. No, no, no I think uh, I think most of it, you know, a lot of the a lot of the guys out here, <laughs> so they say, uh, find it hard to meet women out here. Right. Okay. So, so. There's, there's definitely that. I know uh, many of my uh, male friends have definitely had issues meeting other women out here um, because most of them are either uh, taken or. I don't want to say the other part. <laughs> okay. Oh, what? Now I'm dying to, to know. <laughs> what? They're witches? What? Well, all I know is I heard a whole different bunch of jokes when I was out in the Permian. Like I said, to where I just naturally said what I said. And right. then I went, wait a minute. Was that offensive? <laughs> what did I just say there? But you go down to the Permian. That's just normal All bets talk. are off. Yeah, right? That's just, that's just colloquialisms. Colloquial. It's like Thunderdome. Anyway, so let's get to uh, what you have going. Oh, so my question, getting back to 
the ADHD talk here, is that um, can you recycle water enough so they can water trees? Is that something that can be done? So, yes. I mean, like, you definitely can. It just depends on what method that you would use to treat the water. Um, I mean, you can chemically treat the water, and I would probably not use that type of water for foliage. But if you can use maybe like an electro-oxidation of water or something like a different cleansing process, so here, I think oh, go ahead. you would be better off. Well, that makes sense. The, the idea is, logistically speaking, is that, you know, w- with these forests, we have these sustainability sheds where they have either a well or, you know, above ground cistern type of a, a unit. Right. And so from there, we have a pipeline that will go out and water the trees. So in the Permian, our, our perfect world thought would be that the, you know, some oil and gas company with recycled water then would, you know, once a week or once a month, whatever, drop off that recycled water they'd be able to promote it with the forest this and that type of a you know we'll figure out the the details from there we're still on the logistics phase but is that something that's possible where you know an oil and gas company if they recycle the frack water down to the point to where it can actually you know water a forest i don't i don't see why not awesome yes that'd be amazing be able to close the loop that, I'm telling you, that, that would make national news. Yeah. That would make national news if, if there was a forest down in the Permian doing this. Kate, we're going to make this happen. I'm telling you. It's, I'm serious about this. because That we, sounds big. We've got meetings set up down in the Permian with some, you know, some mayors and political people and that sort of thing to try to tackle it from that side. But you know, maybe with your help, we can do it a little bit from the industry side because, are you ready for this? Bump, bump, bump. That's called veteran transition right there. We're going to transition into Kate's new role. She has just stepped in, stepped up, and accepted the role as president of the Permian chapter of the Oilfield Connections International chapter. Wow. So congratulations. Congratulations. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Well, Frackleberry Hound even stood up on that one. <laughs> so talk to me about the group. Talk to me about the role. Uh, say, you know, some words that you'd like to say in your inauguration speech here. So, um, you know, it, it was it was in a bad situation in which I have now stepped up to president. Um, unfortunately, Greg Mays, who was the chapter president of the Permian, actually passed away due to COVID. So, you know, prayers for his family, prayers for his friends. Um, but, you know, think things have to keep moving. And, you know, the the board members of OCI chose me to, you know, go from VP into the president spot. And uh, I have actually chosen Tiffany Wilson from Aries to be my VP. Um, I think she brings a lot to the table and, and, uh, you know, an all female power team, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But yeah, we, we are actually planning to have our first event um, after the holidays now on the 4th of February, our regular luncheon. I believe that we're going to have to switch venues from the Rolling Sevens over to a different venue just while the weather isn't cooperative and it's a bit colder here. But we're looking at new venues and hoping to have a a great kickoff uh, in February now that we are past the holiday season. So I got I wrote down two things. Which one would you like me to ask first? The the uh, The question, the the question or the uh, snarky question? 
Snarky question first. <laughs> okay, so I, I wrote down when you wrote when you said an all female power team. There can be nothing wrong with that. Um, I, I, I wrote down add in future drop that says opinions on this show may not be held by the host (laughs) an all female power team you know know tiffany and i are are kick ass for sure oh you guys are a force i know that that's absolutely actually tiffany a good friend of the program we still have her flower her uh, uh greenery that she sent because she's all about the green movement with the crude life and trying to explore some new opportunities so the crude life sister sent uh, the crude life here a plant that uh, it greens up our offices even more so um anyway and the next question i had for you was when is the next event and just talk about that a little bit to, you know kind of what you guys are doing at the oil field connections and you know just what the expectations are coming into next year and and that sort of thing well actually this year it's not next year it's this year right (laughs) so like i said our our next luncheon will be the 4th of february that'll just be our our regular uh monthly luncheon um i don't believe that we're gonna have a speaker i think we're just gonna leave it at open networking for that event um and i think we'll have to cap it due to um restrictions for coronavirus and pending what venue we choose um but i think we're also hoping to do a happy hour once we get into the warmer months i'm not sure when when exactly or where we're going to do that yet but i know tiffany and i have been in talks that we'd really like to hit the ground running get that happy hour event going especially because many many operators and many people can't attend our monthly luncheons because they just don't have that time in the middle of the day but if we switch to more of a a happy hour or maybe do a you know a monthly luncheon happy hour um alternating months that might be able to be more inclusive to people that can't otherwise make it. And I think we could all use more happy hours for sure. I think we could all use more happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> as but, your, you know, as your role, new role as, as president, you know, new duties, new responsibilities, will one of your roles as new president be to discuss whether to change the venues in terms of frequency or, you know, you mentioned, you know, you might have to change to a, a new place because of the weather, but also put a cap on there because of COVID. The last two events that I were I went to, I mean, the first one, I think, was 75 people there. And the next one was 150. And then I went to that, that fundraiser for the uh, soup kitchens and there was over 300 people there. So there, there's definitely a demand for people to show up to events. So, you know, that... You know, maybe might you go twice a month and alternate between the lunch and the thing that, you know, are, are you know, you're the president. So, I mean, you've got yeah, new duties, so new ideas, new responsibilities. Talk to me. I think I, I think that that's actually probably a good idea to maybe do two events a month that definitely would uh, make it easier on people to be able to come mm-hmm. while still having a smaller group. But it definitely, uh, with COVID and, you know, people being stuck at home, people want to be out. People want to be seeing people and interacting. So it's sometimes hard to impose that cap because it fills up so darn quickly. So 
hopefully maybe Im- implementing two meetings, you know, whether that's two luncheons or uh, a lunch and a happy hour or two happy hours um, would be a way to get more people out while still remaining uh, cautious and, and taking the proper precautions with COVID still afoot. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. I just had a phone call coming in and an email and few other things happening, so I apologize that... Uh, no, I, no, you're it, fine. I, I went from multitasking to uh, crashing. You know, just, that, that, was, that was the end <laughs> right there. coffee. Better fill that coffee mug up again. Actually, that's what I did. I went and just took a sip of coffee because I wanted to ignore everything else happening. Like, okay, I just got to change my mind space here because I got invaded by too many different things. Okay, so, I no, I get that. You're, it's, you're in a very difficult position right now. I mean, you, first of all... Uh, you know, you're, you're coming in under, you know, less than fortunate circumstances. And then at the same time, the Permian is really where 70 percent of probably the drilling is happening, if not more. So uh-huh. we, we need to move on with our with our businesses in our life. And here we got, you know, we just had a news story earlier talking about the decrease of taxes being uh, collected. Therefore, education's getting impacted. Yesterday, we had a story about. People are reducing their pay by a third and a half of the people have been laid off. You know, all all these things are happening. It's almost like um, it's difficult to get the positive momentum going. That's what I'm trying to say is that it's difficult to try to get the positive momentum going. So I'm very happy that you're in charge and I'm very happy that Tiffany is coming on board because I, I know the both of you and you guys are firecrackers. So, you know, whatever you need from us, we're in. You know, we're in, we're here to help you guys out, whatever you need, because again, positive momentum is needed right now. So anyway, Sterling or no, and everybody needs to help each other out right now in this industry. I was just kind of curious what you're, what you're expecting uh, over the next year or so down there. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to judge yeah. <laughs> what to expect, especially in a time when, uh, you have to expect the unexpected. Right. Um, and as cliche as that sounds, um, I'm hoping that we can, you know, oil was above $50. I haven't honestly checked this morning to, uh, confirm if that's still the case, but I'm sure it probably is. You know, if we can hold steady above $50 a barrel, that would be wonderful. Hopefully, you know, with things picking up, I know fracks have picked up, uh, you know, I know that uh, many of the drilling companies have put in a whole bunch of permits so that if something does happen with uh, Biden taking over the presidency, that they'd still have all their permits already done before anything could happen um, on the end of the president. But, you know, I'm, I'm remaining optimistic that things will continue to pick up. More jobs will be out there and people will get back to work safely. Yeah, safely. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it looks like WTI crude's at 53 right now. Even better. Hey, yep. it's even higher. Keep it going. It's on, it's on an uprise right yeah. now, so that's great. You a sports fan? Depends on the sport, <laughs> yes. Football? A little bit. I'm more of a hockey fan. You know, that's the northerner in me, but, oh, yeah. you know, how, how does I that, dabble in football. How does that play down in Texas? They got hockey teams. No, I know they do, but they also they, they have heat 90% of the time, too, yeah. so... Uh, well, especially in Midland. <laughs> no, I know D- Dallas, you know, I mean, <laughs> Dallas, I was a North stars fan as a kid and mm-hmm. until Dallas took them, you know, and now the stars they're yeah. called and we got the wild, mm-hmm. you know, but in, in Columbus, Ohio, you guys didn't get a team for a long time. 
Well, I actually am not a Blue Jackets fan. I am actually a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. All right. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes there sense. There was no, you know, my dad was a hockey player. I was a figure skater growing up, and uh, we always rooted for the Penguins because there was no Columbus Blue Jackets till I believe, 99. Um, so I, I stuck with that. I actually went to game five of the Stanley Cup the second year that the Pens won it in a row. Oh, awesome. Um, and it was amazing. Yeah. It was incredible. It was like a, being at a concert and just the energy around you was just electric. You know, That's it so was cool. amazing. So coming up in the next segment, uh, we're going to be talking about some sports uh, athletes' nicknames and some unique sports because you know it's friday and it's so important sports are that you gotta say it five times and also that we gotta have a chance so it's sports 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 and that's coming up next of course we've got playoff football everything else happening but hockey's interesting because hockey doesn't get a lot of play you know in terms of talk and everything but i've always said this about hockey and and kate i'd love to know your opinion on this when you take a look at sports, all right, so we've got sports on television, and then we got sports live, okay? Mm-hmm. Football is by far the best on TV, and arguably probably the worst live. Yeah. Okay? Absolutely. Hockey is the exact opposite. Hockey is arguably the worst on TV, but the best That's live. Cool. It does not get... Hockey, a live hockey uh, uh, game, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Well, you got you the are ranking. not wrong. Yeah. I absolutely love going to hockey games in person. It doesn't even have to be like the NHL. Even just around town and stuff, the um, Jackalopes play. You know, going to a live hockey game in general, no matter what level, is usually pretty entertaining. Especially because you get, you know, the fights and stuff. That's obviously the best part. <laughs> you know, when they're pecking them against the boards. Just the sounds and, and the energy. Yeah, the smashing know, against the glass. Arena. and yeah. Case in point. <laughs> Three nights ago, uh, I got invited to volunteer to be the professional voice for the West Fargo girls senior night for their hockey and uh, girls hockey played Jamestown. Nice. And it was seniors night. And so and this is this is awesome. So the parents called and they asked me to to do the to do the introductions and just that sort of thing. And, And it was such an odd request because the end of the. The, the pitch to me or the end of the ask, the one parent goes, we just want it done right and professional this year. And I paused and I thought, what Wait, on did- earth happened that somebody abused their power as a PA person at a local high school girls hockey game where enough parents stepped up and said, nope, just go get some professional yeah. and get it done right. And your second <laughs> oh thought God, was, was is- it me last year? <laughs> So, oh, man. so anyway, so there's that part of it. And the reason I brought it up is I was there the other night at a hockey game, a girls hockey game in the midst of COVID. And there was a lot of people there, actually. There was quite a few people there. But for me, I enjoyed the parents. That was what I enjoyed was the energy and the words and the oh, yeah. chants the and the passion that came out of the parents <laughs> yeah. in the hockey game. Yes. You know, when I would always go to hockey games uh, when I was in high school because I was friends with a lot of the hockey players because obviously we spent a lot of our time at the ice rink. uh, Yeah, definitely the parents can be pretty animated. There was definitely 
you know, some choice words said between parents, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe the occasional punch thrown, uh, but that's none of my business. You know what I mean? Well, that's part of the I show while you're there. That's just, yeah. Walk that's away bonus. like the teenager that I was and be like, Hey, you know, I'm going to look the other way on that one. I remember when I used to manage, uh, uh, the Ramada in Fargo back in the day, we'd get, uh, hockey tournaments in town and, we would have to put signs up in the in the lobby, you know, no hockey sticks and this and that. Well, then all of a sudden we had a meeting one day and it was about the parents because the parents were closing the bar down and just the, the problems that happened after 10 o'clock were not good. They were worse than the kids. And so anyways, <laughs> just to kind of elaborate on your story a little bit. But do you remember the uh, Mario Lemieux? You mentioned the Pittsburgh Penguins yep. growing up. And Mario Lemieux, I imagine, was probably somewhat in your consciousness. Yes, absolutely. Do you remember his nickname? Mm, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't no, know. No, no, I don't. You had one though, right? Okay, well, that's fine. I mean, it's, uh, I, I'd tell you it'd be very similar to my nickname, but it's, you know, not even close. But no, it's the magnificent one. <laughs> Is, or Le Magnifique. Yes. Because he's, you know, French well, he's Canadian. He's humble, too. Right. Yeah. But uh, that was his nickname. <laughs> Did you have a. Is that, is that your new nickname, Jason? Mr. Uh, no, it's not. Actually, the other day, we were thinking it should be the Shale Play Prophet or the Shale Play Shaman, because uh, just some Ooh, weird things that happened. I like the Shale Play Prophet. That one's, yeah. that one's pretty good. Well, in 2009, in our media kit, 2019, our media kit was ready for anything. And because we knew what was happening with Greta Thunberg and the whole ESG social environmental movement type of a thing. And we didn't think it'd be COVID, but so we, and when we looked back at our marketing slogans for our media kits, we were like a year ahead of everything. And so it was um, not, not as quite to the Simpsons predicting the future, but, <laughs> but it was along the same lines. So anyway, we might, we might actually do a segment called shale play profit where we pull uh, former interviews, and um, they're either prophetic, meaning that, wow, that guy really yeah. predicted the future, or they were so wrong and profited so much, we got to use the word profit with a different spelling. <laughs> Some little dollar signs in there, huh? So, hey, hey, man, there's, there's two sides of that coin. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, what was the other question I was going to have for the lovely Kate Hornbrook before we let her get on her way? Did we have another question or not? Oh, who was your favorite hockey player growing up? That's what it was. That was the question? Yeah. Oh, Sidney Crosby, no doubt. Really? Uh, Sid the kid, I've got, that's whose jersey I have. Uh, you just... You just can't knock him. He's he's wonderful, and he's he's a good person. You know, he he displays in his actual life that he's a good person, where a lot of other professional athletes, you know, are kind of dicks. Yeah, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, it's it's true, and I hate that I have to end up making that choice between do I want to watch them play or do I not because I think they're a dick. No, exactly, exactly. So, you know, with him, I can confidently say he's a great role model, he's a great person, and I'm, I'm happy to watch the games when he's playing, you know? Interesting. I, I would have never guessed that. Well, that's good to know. So, okay. Yeah. I'll add that to the file. 
add that to the file. <laughs> well, we'll leave you with, you can have the final word. Uh, how can people give, you know, your, mention your business again, though, you know, how you make a living and give them a plug because we appreciate you coming on. And then also, you know, the oil field connections and, and that sort of thing. So start off with the oil field connections and then, and then we'll conclude with your business. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Um, if you guys want to be a member of Oilfield Connections, go to www.oilfieldconnections.net. Um, on the homepage, there should be a spot for corporate and individual membership. Um, and there's plenty of local chapters all over the United States. Uh, we actually have some in South America as well, too. So if you're tuning in from there, you know, there's some place for you as well. So hopefully you'll be joining us at our next upcoming event on February 4th. And Hopefully, we'll be having some happy hours and other events following. Um, and as for uh, business, uh, not pleasure, <laughs> uh, I'm with Ace Completions. Um, you can either send me an email at khornbrook at acecompletions.com or hit my cell phone at 330-936-0709. And yes, that is still an Ohio number. <laughs> so don't be scared by that. <laughs> Love it. Hit my cell phone. It's just... <laughs> So cool. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a brief pause. We come back. It's sports, 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 sports talk here on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. We're still playing hard right here. Sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does.
sources, sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. All right, now we're going to segue into our sports, 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 sports segment. So important, I got to have a chant. Got to say it multiple times because sports is that important in our society. What do we got today? We're going to do college. No, not college nicknames. Player nicknames. I'm so used to college nicknames. There was a, there was a time when I knew every Division One college nickname. That's a whole and, show right there. Well, we were driving down to uh, Oklahoma. I played in an AAU baseball tournament on the North Dakota team. And we traveled down to Oklahoma City, actually Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, that was part of the... Part of the games was Stump Speece with college nicknames, so they were firing them at me down the way, this and that, and that was one of the memories of the tournament, you know, I'm glad I could play a part of it. Well, you're always a favorite at trivia night, I'm sure. And now we've got, you have, and you, you want to try to stump me is what you're talking about, because we've basically put together a list of some nicknames that are from sports athletes, and this is stemming off of yesterday. We had a conversation about urban legends. And one of the urban legends had to do with the great Bambino, Babe Ruth. The curse. The curse, which Boston Red Sox own the rights to Babe Ruth, the great Bambino. They won five World Series in like 10 years or something like that, or 15 years. Anyways, they were the dominant baseball They were the team. Yankees of their time. They were, and then they traded them to the Yankees. Who became the Yankees of their time. Became the Boston Red Sox at the time and took over the name the Yankees of the time. You know, however that works, the passing of the torch. So anyway, today we want to do some other. Yeah, I'm kind of curious just how yeah. deep this knowledge goes in Jason's brain. Okay, so I'm going to give you a name and I'll maybe even tell you the sport, just to make it a little more fair. Okay. So we're, we're going to start with hockey. Great. Let's do it. I know you like hockey. Stu Grimson. Stu Grimson. He's a kind of a mean hockey player, if my memory serves me correctly, which in hockey, coming off of our conversation with Kate Hornbook, is somewhat there right exactly. now. That's what made me think of it. Uh, you know, I can't I can't place his name. You stumped me. What is it? It's kind of based on his name, Grimson. Grim Reaper. The Grim Reaper. That's there it. you go. That's Which, right. When you said Grim, I knew it Boom. right there. Okay. Yeah, it was a perfect, you know, apparently he was not all that distinguished of a player in terms of stats, but his nickname fit perfectly. He was 6'2", 240 pounds, and was the feared enforcer for the majority of his career. Yeah, some good brawling there, huh? Excellent way to start off the day or not the day the segment jason by getting one wrong okay <laughs> okay well you got some redemption here this is <laughs> this one's gonna be pretty easy we're going baseball oh, i'm sorry basketball basketball i do actually know quite a bit about basketball yeah. and i'm sure you know this guy's pete maravich pistol pete pistol pete probably one of the most famous of all time yeah pistol pete maravich is so famous that anybody named pete in basketball that makes a three-pointer all of a sudden gets called pistol pete we had two of them in my high school and that wasn't even their name. Their yep. name was like Trevor. <laughs> but you could just hang it on them because... Well, because yeah. they made threes. <laughs> That's right. So, all right, Pistol Pete. Okay, let's do, uh, let's do a little bit more basketball. How about Dominique Wilkins? I know Dominique Wilkins because 
Uh, are you ready for this? Yep, a little segue. I think we've talked about pro wrestling in every show. I think so. You know, and I don't mean to do that. It's a passion. But I actually do have a little bit of a background in pro wrestling. Uh, I have wrestled in three professional wrestling matches, okay, where I, I was, um, yeah, I was the, I, I won one and lost two. Okay. Okay, because one of them was that they were near where I was. A couple of the guys didn't show up. My cousin trains a lot of these wrestlers, or did back in the day, uh, former Olympian Brad Rangans, a wrestler. And so I just kind of, they knew who I was, this and that. And my brother is a uh, wrestling coach. He was a coach in wrestling uh, at a college, uh, Morehead State College, uh, NDSU as an assistant. And then he's um, All-American in wrestling. So anyway, it's in our lineage and our blood, yeah, that type of blood. thing. So that's why it keeps popping up because it's just part of my past. That's and, all. And didn't you do a show just about wrestling? Oh, God, yes. It was actually the number one rated show of that year for that sports talk station. And because of that, it, tur- it turned into a thing where people had monikers. They had different names like the exterminator called in. And, <laughs> people you know, role playing. Yeah. Getting they, into it. It was a lot of fun. In fact, yeah. the NDSU Bison coach, Babich, who, boy, is he with the Bears now? He's been he's been in four or five different NFL teams. Mm-hmm. He pulled me aside one day and he goes, Jason, that wrestling show you do. That's the best show you have on that station. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Do you, do you, are these calls real? People will call in for the call or right. they listen for the callers. Yep. They were be- so we wouldn't even. But do like anything. they're in their persona, right? They're calling it. Yeah. Well, and one time this kid was on there. He was he was named the uh, exterminator. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he was just talking smack like you wouldn't believe. All of a sudden, you heard in the background. Johnny, dinner's ready. It was some teenage kid. I mean, we would laugh it so hard. Turn it into a promo. This kid became a 15-second celebrity. Right. Oh, man, that's awesome. Anywho, the reason we're we're talking about that, the reason I brought it that direction, even though you asked me about the show, is that um, my moniker was the human highlight. Jason, the human highlight space. Nice. Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight reel. That's you know, and if I put the two of you next to each other, I wouldn't be able to tell you apart. That's how I know it. Human right. highlight reel. Baseball. So, yeah. You ready for some baseball? Frank Thomas. The Big Hurt. The Big Hurt. I do remember The Big Hurt. That's right. He's selling uh, penis ads or wow. weight loss ads or, no, what is it? Uh, some sort of male enhancement uh, hormone thing. Anyways, you know, the dude, I mean, I just remember him back in the day having, you know, just huge biceps, Yeah, you know, I mean, oh, the he guy, was he was, was like watching Arnold Schwarzenegger out there swinging a bat. Yeah. Batting average of 301 and it's 521 home runs make the big hurt an easy nickname to understand the big hurt. That's a, you know, that's, that's one I'd be pretty happy with. Of course, there's the big unit, Randy Johnson. I don't know if that's on your list or that not, is, but yeah. okay. Yeah, and I, you know what? Why do they call him the big unit? Well, because he's like six foot ten. I think he's six more foot, like seven six foot eleven, foot 10 right? Or so. Yeah, he, he's six eleven. Yeah. I think six nine or if six. If he stands 11. up upright, he blocks out the lights in the stadium. You know, one of the most popular Randy Johnson moments is when he hit that bird. So that's right. He was throwing a ball in his <laughs> fastball, and a bird happened to be flying by, and it looks like poof, the right. bird just exploded. exploded. Yeah, feathers everywhere. <laughs> that shook him up. In fact, there were times where reporters would talk to him or joke about it, and he would go off the handle. 
on the reporter. He's a big animal act activist. Yeah. He's a big animal rights person, and that really affected him. And because- well, think about it. With his speed, he could have gone hunting with baseballs. Dude could have been out hitting deer from you know hundred feet away. Seriously. What do you got? Uh, we just got a 22. How about you? We got Randy Johnson. Yeah, we got Randy Johnson. We're going quail hunting. I mean, yeah, I'm bringing home bison at that oh, point, I shouldn't man. joke about that. Randy Johnson will call in and yeah, chew okay, our ass yeah, out. Right. Yeah, we just didn't say he was an animal activist. We better yeah, go to the, I'm sorry, Randy. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Please don't throw anything our way. All right. What else do we got for some nicknames here? I got some bar sports ready, too. Okay, well, so you know what? Here, how about this one? This one will be a good one for you. Daryl Dawkins. Oh, yeah, the uh, Chocolate Thunder from Chocolate the Planet Love Tron. That's right, Planet Love Tron. One of my favorites, the Round Mounder Rebound. Oh, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley. Sir Charles. See, I never got into the Sir Charles because the Round Mounder Rebound was just so good. Yeah, you know, I think it was like, I just remember, you want to talk about like WWF type of drama is the, you know, him coming out of uh, the Sixers. You know, he was the bad boy. You know, couldn't get along with anybody. Goes to the Suns, right? Gets them to a championship. Yep. And I think that's sort of where the Sir Charles stuff started to come in. I saw Sir Charles, the round mound, a rebound in the Target Center in Minneapolis. It might have even been the Met- actually it was the Metrodome. Metrodome. Because it was the first couple of years that they were a team, uh-huh. and they had Scotty Brooks. Scotty Brooks and Charles Barkley literally body slammed him because of just how the momentum of everything was going. It was like a body slam. And he was, was, he was never really lanky. The dude was always kind of a slab. He's like six, five, six, four, six, five. But he was always real thick, but he's a power forward. So yeah. So, you know, just real quick here, chocolate thunder. You wonder maybe where that comes from. Apparently music icon, Stevie wonder who frequently attended Sixers game. Gave him that nickname. No wonder he was from the planet Love Tron. Dude, if Stevie got, Wonder gives you a name. I was going to say, you got Stevie Wonder as your wingman? <laughs> You're about the coolest guy on the and planet. think about that. Okay, Stevie Wonder, oh of my course, God. amazing musician. He's also blind. Who's that right? Snoop Dogg over there just hanging out? He's my wingman. <laughs> I mean, so sorry, Imagine go on. Imagine how badass you have to be that a blind musician goes to your games and can tell when you're doing stuff right just based on the sounds of the crowd and a stevie wonder yeah who spans four or five generations of being cool okay yeah i mean from the saturday night live joe pesci you know <laughs> i am black and you are white oh, joe piscopo blinded, you are blind yeah. as a bat and i have sight that was groovy thinking lincoln when you set them free oh, i mean think about yeah, that great segment but that was progressive. Mm-hmm. And to be cool, you got to be progressive. And Stevie Wonder was back then, you know, even oh. though it was Eddie Murphy. Dude, I remember growing up and watching Sesame Street and Stevie Wonder and his band got on there and played Superstition. And he was just cool. Yeah. And so, there was Muppets and Stevie Wonder, man. You're Daryl Dawkins. Your nickname is given to you by Stevie Wonder. Yeah. And I you put say, that on business And cards. you say you're from the planet Lovetron. <laughs> I think somebody better do his history, not Wilt Chamberlain. I want to see a movie, right? <laughs> Escape from Planet Lovetron or Escape to Planet Lovetron? Escape to Planet Lovetron. <laughs> Are you with the, with the round mound or rebound? 
<laughs> so you got bar sports for us? We do. We do bar have sports? bar sports. Okay, let's get to that. By the way, Patrick Ewing, the Hoya Destroyer. The Hoya. I loved Patrick Ewing. I was a Knicks fan back in the day. I thought you might come at me with Patrick Ewing. I was ready for that one. Because I didn't know that nickname. The, the, I like Patrick. The Hoya Destroyer. Yeah. I you really got to work to get that one out to make All it right. sound cool, though. Let's get to some of our, what do we call these? We call these bar sports. Yeah, okay, so. Bar sports. I didn't realize bar sports were as popular as they were, but uh, apparently. Like you know, darts or what? I mean, well, you know, like cornhole. Okay, so okay. beanbags. Beanbag toss. Gotcha. Okay, cornhole it's called. Right. That's, uh, that, that's on ESPN now. Not ESPN Ocho, but ESPN Uno. <laughs> right. Re- regular. Like this is your regular programming. As in, we've ran out of girls' volleyball and chess. And, and there's no more bowling. I mean, they were doing chess for a while. Chess boxing. Okay. Chess boxing is, is a no, thing. No, I would watch that. That is a bar sport, by the way. We'll get to that in a second. So, let's see what we got here. Wife carrying. That's a bar sport. Born in Finland. It's pretty self-explanatory. A man must carry his wife through an obstacle course as fast as he can. Oh, jeez. There are some restrictions. The course must be 253.5 meters long with one dry and two water obstacles. The wife must weigh at least 49 kilograms, and if dropped... The man faces a 15-second penalty. Can you give that to us in American measurement? The world, How many football fields is that? The world championships are held in July, and the winner gets his wife's weight in beer. And this has not been banned. This wow. is still going so on. So you could see like competitiveness where they're trying to get their wife to be just that right weight that they can still carry, but it's the maximum amount of beer, right? This has got... Primetime written all over. Yeah, how that's not on. Think of the promotional vignettes, videos leading up to it. The Mm -hmm. wife cutting weight to get to 49 pounds. Not 48, 49. Not pounds. We're talking kilograms. There's a big difference. The the Martin Short Saturday Night Live synchronized swimming (laughs) that you would do. Uh, Oh, it could be a reality show. It could be like five weeks up to the event. This is fantastic. It's like Bachelorette, but with carrying. And then in the end, you get your wife's weight in beer. Wow. You're doing it all for beer. And of course, fame. Well, I would imagine the endorsement deals that I'm come sure with the this love of your wife would make LeBron James look like <laughs> peanuts, right? Peanut gallery. Okay, have you ever heard of Zorbing? Uh, once. Okay, Zor- in a Park. Okay, this is a, well, we're not we're not playing that hard. Okay, okay. <laughs> let's let's keep it to at least R. We're not going to get into triple X here. Okay, to Zorb is to oh god, the first sentence. Folks, we did not plan this. This is 100% organic. Okay, to Zorb is to strap oneself onto an oversized hamster exercise ball and roll down a hill. So inside of it, right? <laughs> or when, when you say strap, I'm picturing... Into. Okay, yeah. I'm picturing strapping on the so outside. So you probably, like one of those uh, zero gravity things mm-hmm. you put yourself into, the yeah. astronauts do. I've seen those blow up bubble ones you can get. Except for you put yourself in a hamster. And go downhill. What and could possibly go wrong? The Zorb is actually constructed with two plastic inflatable balls, one inside of each other, in order to cushion impact. Zorbs typically hold between one and three people. Some people put water inside the ball so they roll down faster and <laughs> splash relentlessly. 
So it's cool they're making it into a game, but you know what this is to me? Sounds like a complicated way to drown. This is what they used to do for fun in Texas, which is just put somebody in a tire and roll them down a hill. That's what we did when I was a kid. I was going to say, yeah. but rocks and tires, that's all. So they just turned it into somewhat of a safe deal. Cheese rolling is another bar sport. Now, this has got to come out of Wisconsin. I mean, they just are drunk there. (laughs) Zorbing, cheese rolling, like zorbing. Cheese rolling involves racing down a hill, but it's... People race behind a wheel of cheese. Oh, you! So the cheese is going to roll on top of you. No, oh, so, no, no, no! You're racing behind it. Sorry, the cheese is rolling in front of you. Never mind. <laughs> this is just. Turn. I, I didn't like that one. Now look, right. yeah, I saw one the other day, Jason. I read that wrong. I got excited. <laughs> I thought seriously. I thought it was like that, uh, like that Japanese game XMT or whatever, where uh, you you have to run down a hill and there's a boulder. Like chasing you? Yes. Okay, there was so a game like, show in Japan. It's like the, the it was on intro late to night. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Extreme overnight game shows. Now, you want to talk about Anyways, crazy game shows. Talking about Japanese ones. My daughter showed me one the other day on YouTube that's called Slippery Stairs. And basically, it's five or six participants in bright colored latex bodysuits having to climb up an inflatable staircase covered in various mixtures of oil and slippery goo. What I'm hearing right now is basically we're taking Double Dare mm-hmm. and splicing it into bar sports. Oh, yeah. That's what we were doing, right? Yeah. Some, I mean, because that sounds like a Double Dare thing. You know, go up the booger nose or go up the Man guy. Man gets hit and crotch yeah, with ball. The puking tongue, you <laughs> yeah. know, or it had to be something gross, yeah. of course. Of course, and, yeah. By the way, okay, so just to kind of keep moving along, your chest boxing. Here's your chest boxing. Love this idea. As the name suggests, chess boxing is a hybrid of chess and boxing. Matches alternate between the two activities and can last up to 11 rounds with wins determined by knockout or checkmate. In the event of a tie during chess, the match is determined by the number of points earned during boxing. If the fight ends in a tie, the winner is the combatant using the black pieces in chess. Okay, I don't understand how this is done. No, they should have to fight it out to the end. It should be one, you know, two man enter, one man leave type of thing. Thunderdome. So they alternate. So like you. Okay, so picture this. Okay, please. Okay, so we. You've heard of this. I make a move. All right. Okay. You make a move. Okay. We stand up and we fight for a round. Okay. Then we sit back down. I make a move. You make a move. Then we get up. We have another round. Okay, and then after 11 rounds? Yeah, and I'm guessing by about round seven or eight, you're not even able, sure what your pieces do anymore. <laughs> and is there a timing between, like, you, you can I only think so. for I mean, a minute I, yeah, and a half? I, I'm just learning about this, too, but I, I got to find out more. That's You why. could do a lot with that, by the way. You know, if you want to do bar sports, we could do dart boxing. Well, no, you could do, like, say, basketball boxing. Basketball. After every hoop? Right. Or say, if you travel, then you got to go box. You gotta, well, that's that's basically Ooh. how hockey settles things, right? I like this a lot, actually. Yeah. Okay, so if you double dribble, you got 30 seconds in the boxing ring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like this. I, 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 Advertisers will love it because it'll stretch things out. A couple commercial breaks. So here's another one, by the way, for you. And this is more my speed. Outhouse racing. <laughs> Racing to the outhouse or racing with an outhouse? This annual event takes place in Michigan. Of course it does. Still takes place in Michigan. As three teammates, two pushers, and a rider 
attempt to glide and guide their mini restroom across, across the finish line. The outhouse is set up on skis and must have a toilet paper dispenser and a toilet seat. Competitors are very creative in their decorating and naming of the bathroom sleds. Oh, the bathroom sled naming. There's a link. I got to click on yeah. the link. What? Okay. What, what would you name? If you were to name. Oh, God. Your outhouse on skis in a tournament in Michigan. What would your toilet name be? Uh, oh, downhill boy. streamer. The downhill streamer. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's evocative, you know. <laughs> it's got layers. Yeah, well, and I think people want to generally stay out. No, of that's way. the name of mine. It's got layers. <laughs> Oh man, we need to go do this. We need to spot Crude Life needs to sponsor. You ready for this name? Cart. I, I clicked on the link. Here's one. Don't wipe out. <laughs> That's good. I kind of like this one. The big G. The big I don't even G. know what that means, but the big G. <laughs> going going brown town. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, this one, they dressed up in uh, pink, and it's the Flamingo Flushers. Oh, that's nice. I've seen some very nice-looking outhouses before. Taking turd. And some real shitters. Taking turd. And it's spelled (laughs) T-U-R-D. Yep. (laughs) That's actually a thing. You take turd place. You take turd place. So good for them. Bravo. At least they're calling bronze what bronze is. Exactly. You know, if you're going to do something, go all in. (laughs) Now, this is an event that I think would actually take off very well at music festivals. Hmm. Mud pit belly flop. I mean, it happens already. Yeah, that's that's kind of an organic process. So you might as well turn it into competition because then it becomes controlled. And then you can monetize it. The mud pit belly flop is actually one of a series of interesting activities known as the Summer Redneck Games. (laughs) They're held in East Dublin, Georgia. Other events include... Hubcap, discus throw, and bobbin for pig's feet. Bobbin for pig's feet. God, do you have to use your mouth? And the last one here is one that I would actually believe would work on ESPN Ocho. You ready for this? I'm ready. Unicycle polo. Oh, jeez. The sport sport (laughs) debuted in Portland, Oregon. By a bunch of uh, by a bunch of hippies, yeah. No, uh, Portland, Oregon, by a group called the Unicycle Bastards. See, they were a bunch of hippies. <laughs> the rule book uh, asks players to engage in frequent and colorful swearing. It just you can't make it up. That's beautiful. The consumption of one alcoholic beverage prior to every match and the urination in approved restroom facilities. <laughs> See, they got rules. That's, All right, that's good. It's important to know where you're supposed to put your pee. Unicycling you know looks... funny? Just real quick, they, they must have actually had a problem with that. You know, rules are generally a reaction to things, right? <laughs> I, I got to be honest. I do believe I know exactly how this sport was created. Yeah. Okay, so they had a group called the Unicycle People. And whether they were a group at the time, who knows? It was a bunch of collective-minding unicycle people that got together and got drunk one night. And they decided to do this. They're like circus folk. And my guess is they were watching The Simpsons. 
And they were watching the episode of The Simpsons when Homer plays on the softball team with Daryl Strawberry and all these other players, right? And Mr. Burns gets the ringers, gets gets the team of ringers. I said, cut your hair, hippie. That's the one. And they're going over the rules of softball. Third innings, a beer inning. Got to drink. Got to drink a beer after the first base. You know. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, the, yeah, we know how to play. The chief of police says, "Yeah, we know how to play, we softball. Know how to play softball." My yeah. guess is they watch that for their inspiration because because if you got to have a beer before you even start the game, and then you got to put your ass on a unicycle and go play polo. <laughs> yeah, that's endurance right and there. Then, and then swearing is encouraged, yeah. but creative swearing, like they know they're going to swear, so they embrace it and they say, "Just be creative." Mm-hmm. So that's part of it and then they know that they're going to pee so they put together approved approved restrooms yeah bravo i wonder who who referees those that's probably you know the pisser right you know i don't know know. that's interesting stuff there but i'll tell you what folks that is going to do it for our weird sports and nicknames in our sports 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 segment it's playoff football time we got all kinds of different things alabama won the national championship this week so we got the draft next we're going to talk sports here on the crude life morning show play hard work hard and that's going to do it folks we're going to work hard next on our newsmaker interview that is sterling my name is jason spies frackleberry hound is taking a nap don't fall down now, it's pixie dust. I carry what I need, baby, you I can trust. I carry a note in the pocket of life, and a pencil and erase by my side. Well, I feel alright, I'm doing okay. But I'm here for the moment, know that I'm on my way. I came in downstairs, what I had to say. With Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices, the solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know. When you move to oil field areas, you get a a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend. and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when when are we moving? (laughs) And honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Play hard, work hard. 
Now let's work hard. All right. Good day, everyone. My name is Jenica Hauser, and I recently became a content contributor for The Crude Life. I'm excited today to get to speak with Mark Watson, and he's with the Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. That is quite a mouthful, but I'm really glad to be talking with him today. Good day. How are you today, Mark? I am just fine. How are you? Oh, just doing fantastic. Thankful that I get to work indoors, that is for sure. <laughs> Wintertime. Yes. Okay, so okay, so I've been doing quite a bit of, of research looking up on the website, and there is a lot of information that you guys have put out there for the public, so that's really nice, made it quite accessible. There's videos on YouTube even that outline some stuff, so I took a lot of notes, but I wanted to kind of start with maybe you telling everyone uh, who you are, a little bit about what you do, and uh, we'll kind of go into what you've been up to this last year, because it seems like everyone at the commission has been quite busy. Well, that, that's for sure. So my my name is Mark Watson. I'm the um, supervisor, which is a retro name for director of the Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. We're headquartered in Casper, Wyoming. We just have one office for the whole state. And um, yeah, it's it's been a busy year and it's been a year to forget, but uh, you know, you got to go through these things sometimes. Right. Well, it helps us to appreciate the good times, right? Right, right. Well, okay, so I see that uh, there have been different projects going on, especially this year, um, from from the lift of the commission tax to the energy rebound project to orphan wells. Is there, I mean, what, where, where would you like to begin? I'm, I'm, I've got so many questions. I'm very curious. Well, okay, so, you know, you mentioned the, the conservation tax. So we're a self-funded agency. We um, charge a tax on all production in the state. Uh, it's five mils, so it's five dollars for every ten thousand dollars worth of oil or gas sold. And then we also make, you know, money on permit fees. It's five hundred dollars for a drilling permit, um, hearing fees, two hundred fifty dollars. So you know, we we have enough revenue to basically fund our agency and then also fund um, orphan wells. Um, should the bond not be enough? I think that was your second question. So. Orphan well is basically a well where the company's gone bankrupt or hasn't followed our rules, and so we've um, revoked their bond. And then the well becomes the property of the Oil and Gas Commission, and it's our job to um, plug that well and rehab the surface. And so we've been pretty busy probably since I took over in 2014. We've had about a little over 5,500 to 6,000 orphan wells. A majority of them are cold bed methane wells that are you know, anywhere from zero to 3,000 feet. So they're a little easier to plug than, say, a, you know, deep horizontal well. And we've been plugging, you know, average five, 600 a year. This year we've got over four, 1,400 wells under contract. I think we've plugged, as of this week, close to uh, 1,000 wells for 2020. Um, and, and that's a lot to do with the governor and legislators telling the Oil and Gas Commission that, you know, when things are a little slower, maybe we could you know, up our game, plug more wells, keep more people employed. So that's what we've done. We've probably had three or four projects going at one time, and, and we basically put these projects in a geographical area, two to 300 wells per project, and then we put them out for bid. And so we're always, you know, as soon as one project's finished, we've got another one out for bid. And so it's kind of an ongoing process. And even in the wintertime this year, we've, we haven't had a lot of snow, so... 
you know, we're continuing to work throughout the winter. Nice. And then the other question, I believe, was the Energy Rebound Program. So that was a program that, you know, using CARES Act funding from the federal government due to COVID, you know, each state, I think, had $1.2 billion to spend. And for a small state like Wyoming, it's, it's tough to spend all that money. But the governor allocated uh, originally $15 million, and then we did another $15 million, so a total of $30 million. We kind of did it late in the year, but... Um, you know, it's still out there, and so we worked with the Wyoming Business Council. There was a body in charge of giving out these contracts, and so we we went over 800 different applications, and we did it all in three days to get the information back to the Business Council so they could um, award all the funding. And so basically, it's wow. 500,000 max per well to either one recompleted well which was basically a well that was drilled this year and due to COVID couldn't be completed so that 500,000 would go towards cost of fracking you know water sand anything like that um, then the next level was any well that was put back on production recompleted enhanced production anything that would increase production for the state and then finally the last tranche was um, Orphan or wells that companies wanted to plug, you know, because the economics have changed. And so we're pretty busy for a couple of weeks getting all that out. But all the contracts or the companies have been awarded, they're, they're 500000 per well. So it's going to be a pretty busy December for uh, contractors and operators alike. Right. Well, because the, the deadline is uh, December 30th, right? Correct. So they have, they have to have the money spent by then. So, for example, if you're doing a frack and you couldn't get Halliburton out there till January, you can at least, you know, get the water out there, buy the sand, something, and, and have those funds expended before December 30th. And in that case, you'll be reimbursed for a minimum or the maximum of 500000 Oh, okay. All right. Okay, so okay, so taking it back a little bit to the the orphan wells, I just wanted to, I guess, congratulate you. It wasn't a thousand wells, uh, the the goal for this year, wasn't it? Well, originally it wasn't. You know, we we do about five hundred a year, but you know, once COVID came along and turned things upside down, um, you know, legislators got involved, the governor got involved. It's just because so many people were, you know, all of a sudden unemployed, are soon to be, and so. By having more than you know, one or two contractors, we were, had three or four or five contractors going at the same time. So, you know, it kept a lot of people employed. And these companies know that, you know, we still have maybe fifteen hundred more wells to to plug. So, you know, they're they're going to stay busy for the next couple of years. So at least they have some, you know, certainty that uh, they have the work, and so they can keep the employees. And that's one of the things we wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's something that I think a lot of people are looking into. I mean, it, it got pretty pretty bad from what I hear this year. What, what was the the low point? Do you think this year for the the amount of production and the the number of wells that were getting to be taken care of? Well, I mean, for Wyoming, the low point came in early August when our rig count dropped to zero. And I've been around a long time, but I haven't been around over a hundred years. And I know I don't think you know we've ever hit you know below the below one well. So when we had, and it was only for a couple of days, but it's still historic to note that, you know, how much, you know, one, the COVID issue, uh, two, the issue between Russia and, and Saudi Arabia fighting over oil prices back in March and April, 
And so you combine those two and, you know, you had a drop of oil that at one time went to, into the negative. So it really shut down, you know, drilling, everybody kind of pulling their horns, trying to decide, well, you know, why expend any money now with, with the prices so low? And right. of course now things are a lot better. But this summer was, a, was quite the low point for Wyoming. Well, I mean, th- I mean, I-, I wanted to say thank goodness it was only three days, but I guess really, I mean, when you factor in the the cost of production and the return on that production, the you know what was lost out on that three days was probably, I mean, probably felt catastrophic at the time. Well, it did because you just didn't know when it was going to end. But you know, as as things you know got a little positive later in August, September, you know, there was talk of the vaccine and prices of oil started to rise maybe people are going to start using oil more and of course that all came to an end once the second wave hit but uh, you know we're looking in the oil in the 40 40 dollar range now and for some companies that, that are efficient and can get a good deal on, on employing a, a rig that um, you know some of the companies can make money well, that's good. What What do you think the outlook uh, is like for these companies right now? Um, looking into, I mean, next three to six months, next year, uh, do you see what kind of a recovery? Oh, I think it's going to be a slow recovery. I mean, 2021 is maybe going to be a little better than 2020. I mean, at least we know what we're dealing with. But, you know, I don't see a quick rebound. It, it all comes down to, you know, when COVID is kind of put to bed when everybody has the vaccine, when everybody starts traveling, you know. Once you get airlines back and people traveling again, that's when we start using hydrocarbons again, and um, you'll start to see the price. Probably fall of 2021, you know, things will start going back up as far as oil prices, companies, you know, getting back to work. Oh yeah, Ho- hopefully, fingers crossed for sooner. But yeah, realistically, one can one can hope that by fall of next year, people will be able to travel around more. I know that I guess thinking about uh, when it comes to COVID, a lot of the regulations people are thinking kind of socially, you know, for for everyone. I wonder, however, uh, have 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 this has this really uh, affected regulations when it comes to oil and gas production? No, not really. I mean, I don't guess I'm not quite understanding your question I mean did we change rules or okay so I know that a lot of a lot of companies for example have implemented different regulations uh, for for the their workers or for uh, how things are done because of the you know the other outlying regulations like for socially you know wearing masks in public oh, right, um, right. places I mean how has this affected regulations when it comes to implementing things in the oil and gas industry? Yeah, I mean, like any industry, it's, you know, wearing face masks when you go on location. Some of the companies, you know, our um, field personnel couldn't even come on location until they had a test, a COVID test. So, you know, a lot of the companies took it pretty serious. They didn't want to, you know, get anybody sick on the rig. They are kind of in their own little bubble. So, yeah, companies are doing everything everything they can to be cautious. I had heard some stuff about that. It kind of seems to me that uh, the the push against the oil and gas industry has has almost coincided with the push for public focus on health. Has the environmental movement at all impacted regulations within the last year, do you think? I'd heard rumor that that there might be something uh, being, I don't know, introduced regulatory-wise that would be similar to what Colorado's got going on. 
Well, certainly not in Wyoming. We haven't, you know, we obviously watch Colorado because they're, you know, right next door. Um, but we haven't, you know, had any ideas for implementing any new rules um, throughout this. You know, I think we're just trying to get get through this era, and um, you know, we can worry about new regulations in the future. But as of right now, we're not thinking of changing anything. I think there'd be a lot of people uh, happy to hear that consistency yes. after all. Yeah, it kind of makes people feel feel safer. And, and right now, everyone needs a good foundation. Right. Well, I mean, industry likes regulatory certainty. I mean, uh, the biggest unknown for Wyoming is, you know, a new administration coming in. And Wyoming is 50% of our oil production and 75% of our gas production comes from federal minerals. So we're obviously a little nervous about what the new administration may do as far as, you know, maybe no no new leasing, no new drilling. It's, you know, really it's up in the air right now. It's just, it's all rumors. And so everybody's just kind of waiting to see what happens. Waiting for the final word. And I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of the nation right now, kind of holding their breath because there's a lot of things riding on what may or may not happen depending on which administration takes office. Right. Well, you know. Today's the Electoral College, and we're going to assume that, you know, the new administration is is the Biden administration. And so, you know, that's the one that makes, you know, why I'm a little nervous, you know, with regards to federal minerals. Right. Because what came to mind, I guess, was uh, with Colorado, the uh, initiative to kind of phase out to all renewable energy by 2040. And I mean, a lot of times it kind of ends up like a domino effect. So uh, I, I know that there's been different different organizations and movements, I, I, I kind of wonder how much it had affected Wyoming simply because, well, it's well known for the oil and gas industry. So a lot of the people there are going to be in support of the oil and gas industry. Well, that, that's, that's for sure, because that's, you know, that's our bread and butter. That's 60 to 70 percent of the, the state revenue comes from coal, gas, oil. So, you know, that, that's something we're kind of trying to tackle now. And of course, like any, every state, you know, we're having huge budget shortfalls. You know, we predicted maybe up to a billion dollars shortfall over the previous biennium. So, you know, we're still hoping that uh, hoping for a good recovery in oil and gas. Right. Yep, everyone with their fingers crossed. I actually, uh, this actually kind of brings me back to what I'd mentioned about the commission tax. I was curious to note, um, because it was lifted for six months, have... Do you think that that uh, it did what you wanted it to do in the efforts to help the recovery? Well, I'm not sure what, you know, it it was something that the governor was just asking all agencies, you know, what can we do to help help in the industry in a time like that? And I said, well, there's different things we can do. But if we go if we basically cancel the conservation tax for six months, it affects everybody from the biggest to the smallest company. And so, you know. It was something that was helpful. I'm not sure, you know, what we were trying to accomplish, but other than just to assist the industry. Well, I suppose if that was the main goal and you saw ways that it had had assisted, that would, of course, mark it as a success. So that's that's really good. I guess, okay, so looking into the future, because we, we're talking about uh, recovery, I know that we had mentioned that December 30th, was kind of the deadline for the, that was for the Energy Rebound program. Do you see any new projects beginning here sooner? Well, I mean, drilling is is starting to come back. You know, I think our recount this week is six. 
And, you know, they're all horizontal wells, maybe a directional well in the western part of the state for natural gas. But, you know, I've always told people that, you know, we can do legislative rules to help operators. We can, you know, lower severance tax for a while. But really, there's only two things that that operators use to decide whether to drill or not. One is the commodity price, obviously, and the other is the quality of the rock. So, you know, if you if you have a good reservoir and the price is right, companies are going to drill. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yes, I hope to. When did horizontal drilling start becoming more popular? Well, we actually, when I say we, I mean in industry in Wyoming, experimented in the, the mid-90s in a couple of fields, but they, they could drill horizontally. They just didn't really know how to complete the wells. You know, a lot of times they're just drilling kitty corner southwest and northeast to try and connect as many fractures as they could, natural fractures, because they didn't know how to do the, um, how to set production casing and cement it in a horizontal method. They didn't know how to frack it. And it wasn't until, you know, 2010-ish, maybe a little bit before that, where they figured out how to do um, one set set liners, um, sliding sleeves, and then when they came along and, and they were able to do stage fracks where they could actually drop balls down the casing and, and frack, you know, two to 300 feet at a time and move to the next two or 300 feet, then you could be really selective in how you complete these wells. And that's when things really got successful and and that basically turned the turn the industry around in this state because where the Pot River Basin is probably the number one basin for horizontal drilling. And they're drilling into formations that produced vertically back in the 70s, but they just didn't produce a lot on these really tight, tight formations. But once you could, you know, put a lot of sand and a lot of water to these formations, you know, that's when you started to get, you know, production up in the two to 3,000 barrel a day range. And that's, you know, when it really became economic. Nice. Because I had been wondering about that because I had seen something uh, when I was reading into what you have on the website, which, by the way, for anyone listening, there is a lot of really good information on their website. But it had said something about a new development or something being implemented this year that had really increased. And then earlier I was listening to an interview that you had done where you had noted that 95% of... I believe it was 95% of the permits, well, no, the majority of permits were for horizontal well drilling was what you had said. Was that, that was right, the vast yeah, over, majority? Over 90, 95% are horizontal drilling. I mean, we still have a few vertical plays, but um, horizontal is really where it's at. So that had actually raised a question in my brain then earlier when we were talking about the uh, the plugging of, of these wells, because you had mentioned that it's more difficult to plug the horizontal wells. Is this, do you think, going to be kind of a an issue in the future, just out of curiosity? Well, it's not more difficult. It's just it takes a little longer and takes a little more cement because the wells are deeper, um, casing's bigger, and the surface locations are a lot bigger. So it's it just going to be a lot more expensive. For, you know, we can plug these uh, coal bed wells for $5,000 a well. And so we're pretty efficient. And that's, you know, that's pretty cheap. But when you're looking at, you know, plugging a 10,000-foot well, you know, we look at an average price of $10 a foot, and that's just for cement costs and no, no problems in the well. And, and then you have a lot of costs in, in this the surface, some of these locations are 10, 10, 20 acre surface locations. So there's a lot of rehab work to be done in the future of 
you know, once these wells are buttoned up and put to bed. Um, but, you know, we've, we've dealt with this kind of thing for years and years and years, and, and most operators do the right thing, and when the wells are uneconomic and they, they, they get them plugged and get the surface rehabbed. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, I was just curious because I, I guess previously I'd only in my own head only ever thought about, uh, well, vertical drilling. And so when I was reading about the horizontal drilling, I found that to be pretty intriguing. And I'd asked my husband some questions about it. And he said that it had been used for a while. But I, I, found, I found it to be interesting when you noted that it was so prominent. How many wells do you think are in Wyoming right now that are horizontal wells versus... I keep wanting to call it vertical, but that's not actually the term for it. I apologize. Yeah, we've got we, conventional wells versus non-conventional, but conventionals okay. are the vertical wells. You know, I, we have, you know, several thousand, two, three thousand horizontal wells. Total wells in the state is in the, you know, 40,000 range. Um, of course, not all of them are responsible for it because there's a lot of, you know, like I mentioned earlier, is the the majority of the, the minerals are federal, and so those wells and the jurisdiction falls under the Bureau of Land Management, you know, who has bonds and, and is responsible for plugging wells if, if they should be orphaned. Do they still have to go through you for the different permits and stuff for those wells? They, they still have to file a drilling permit with the state, even on federal minerals, because we're the ones that... Um, assign the API number, the unique number for each well. And we also have jurisdiction over spacing. And so we do all the hearings, you know, every, every month, you know, we used to do up to 4,000 hearings a month and, you know, now we're down to two or 300 hearings a month, but all these wells have to have a spacing hearing first to determine, you know, majority of them are on 1,280 acre spacing and they can do um, hearings for additional wells because most wells, most horizontal wells only drain between 250 and 300 acres, so it takes several wells to completely drain the reservoir within a 1,280-acre spacing unit. So, yeah, we're involved in a lot of the front-end work, on even on federal wells. And, of course, in the Potter River Basin with these horizontal wells, there's what we call mixed minerals. So most of the wells, you're drilling horizontally, you're drilling through private minerals, state minerals, as well as federal minerals. And, and not very often that, that you can drill a well that doesn't hit federal minerals. Huh. Kind of clears up a few things for me. I, I, uh, I'm still learning quite a bit about the specifics when it comes to in the industry. So, again, really glad that I got the opportunity to talk with you today. Is there anything else that you can think of that you would like anyone listening to know about what's going on? Any important uh, projects or, or, or uh, events or anything that you would like to mention? No, not really projects. It's just, you know, everybody is waiting for, you know, it's it's like any downturn. It's, it's you know, the industry is pretty resilient. They always come back. It's just a matter of, you know, how long it takes. You know, I remember in the 90s, it took five or six years to go from $15 to $20 for a barrel of oil. So, you know, everybody's saying, oh, you know, next year will be better. And sometimes it's several years and you, and you just don't know. So that's everybody's got their fingers crossed. Just got to go with the flow and ride it out. Yep, that's how it is. Well, I guess, thank you so much. I really, again, I really do appreciate the time you took to talk with me today. It was a wonderful conversation, and uh, there was a lot of information there, so thank you. Okay, well, you're welcome. I'm always happy to plug the state of Wyoming. Absolutely. And then if anyone should want to get a hold of the commission, where would be the best place, do you think, to reach you? 
You can go to our website. It's got you know lots of information. If you go to the data part of it, you know every single well in the state, whether it's federal, private, state minerals. Um, we have all the production information and all that stuff. And then there's also you know contacts if if you need email addresses, phone numbers, anything like that. It's all on the website. Wonderful. Thank you, Mark. I've taken up enough of your time. You've been so gracious. Okay, you're very welcome. Good talking to you. You too. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay, thank you. All right, my friends. That was Mark Watson with the Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. If you would like to find out more about the Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, make sure to go to wogcc.wyo.gov. And if you like what you heard and you would like to hear more great information, check out the rest of what you can find on thecrudelife.com. Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Speece, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Speece. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Mike Marcel with Orange Property Management about some candid COVID conversations out in the oil patch. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Mike Marcel right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. The way that it works federally with any of this stuff is that there's a state minimum, and when the COVID crisis hit, the state minimums was 1.25 billion that went to 20 states. Now, to give you a comparison, we got the exact same amount of money as Nevada did and as Arkansas did. Now they have three times the, you know, actually five times the population 
but that state minimum was $1.25 billion. So the small states always typically, in any kind of a big program, will, will disproportionately advantage just because of the population versus the, the, the minimum formula. Now, I went through and read the entire bill. I spent 40 hours on it. It took five days. And <laughs> and we've got a very smart congressional delegation, let me just tell you that, because there are line items in there that are absolutely for North Dakota, and there's a lot of them. And so those are not just part of the formula. Those are part of like special sort of what we would call earmarks or you know special allocations. And that's more part of the bigger bill, like the regular budget. It wasn't part of the supplemental for the COVID. I'm calling it the COVID too. But realistically, the way I read it, and I might be completely off base, but I think there's more money in this bill than last time uh, when you factor in the health and human services and the school funding that they're they're proposing. Um, there probably be less money for PPP just because you're not going to get as big of a participation in that or idle. Um, the direct payments is an interesting one because at 600, it's it's a lot. It's 355 million direct to people, but at 2,000, you're at a billion three. So, I mean, that's an astronomically large amount of money for a little state with 760,000 people. To listen to the full-length interview with Mike Marcio with Orange Property Management or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our daily morning show and our ever-growing army of social media enthusiasts, energy enthusiasts. Go to thecrudelife.com, click on the social media page. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest if you're interested in sustainable forests growing industry jobs check out the industrialforest.com play hard work hard